Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the blessing of this day. Thank you for revealing yourself to us, Lord God. Thank you for drawing us to this place. We pray that you would speak to us. We pray that you would calm our anxious hearts, that you would give us ears to hear you, that your word would touch us deep down inside, Lord, that we would be drawn close to you and love you more. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. morning. It's so great to see you all this morning. Well, I brought with me my car. It was difficult to get inside the church, but uh, after some work, we were able to get down the aisle with it. Now, this car is amazing, right? I know many of us like uh, are trying to find cars that are more efficient, you know, either for the price of gas or to be more environmentally um, sound, but this is the solution right here. Do you know how much gas this spent getting from my house to here? None. This thing could go miles and miles without a drop of fuel expended. That is amazing, right? And maintenance, pollution, zero emissions out of this puppy, right? And your mechanic, unfortunately, would go out of business if you drove this because there are no repairs that ever need to be done to this. And the repairs could probably be done with a hammer, right, which most of us possess. Now, you might have a hard time if you wanted to go to Sacramento, Right, and like buy a big screen TV if you, wanted, if you wanted to drive this, don't you think? But it is a car, right? It is a car, but there's a difference probably between the car that I have in my hand and the one you drove here this morning. What is the difference? A little bigger, right? So it has doors that probably operate, right? And you can get inside of it, which is a nice thing. I mean, this you could kind of balance on on one foot maybe for a little bit. But it's nice to be able to get in a car. Right? And it's nice to be able to be out of the elements. What else does your car have that this doesn't? An engine, engine, right? It can take you somewhere. The only way this thing's getting anywhere is if you pull it or you put it at the top of a big hill and let it go. Right? Your car can take you places. Uh, And, you know, we have many things like that. We have a real thing, and then we have a substitute for it. Right? This is a substitute for a real car. And then we have the real thing, which actually does stuff for us. In our gospel passage, we have the same kind of thing happening. But instead of cars, we have two kings. One the real king, one an imposter. Let's talk about King Herod the Great first. First of all, if you have the great after your name, I mean, you've gone somewhere in life, right? Herod the Great, Alexander the Great, Nate the Great, whatever it is, right? If you got a great after it, great-grandparent, the great before it is great, too. We like that as well. Um, You know, those are good things. They're signs of status and position. Herod the Great was known for being a powerful ruler. And he built everything. He was known for building everything. I'll save you the money of a tour guide. If you go to Israel and you see anything that's been constructed that's old, Herod the Great built it. Right? That's kind of your shorthand. Oh, you're walking on old stones. Well, Herod the Great built that sidewalk. Oh, there's that wall over there. Herod the Great built that. Or there's that that palace. Oh, Herod the Great built that. You know, you'll be right like 98% of the time if you just say Herod the Great built it. It makes you sound like a real scholar. So he built all kinds of stuff there. This includes the Second Temple, um, which is also known by another name as Herod's Temple. Right? He's even got his name on the temple. That's pretty impressive. Like Staples would have a hard time doing that. Right? you got the Staples Center, um, Herod's Temple, the Arco Arena, right? And the first temple, the first temple had been destroyed when the Israelites were um, 
were exiled from their land. And so over the years, it had been built back up again. And Herod didn't build it in its entirety, but apparently bought the licensing rights to the name. Um, He actually expanded its courts uh, and expanded the temple itself. Uh, The four retaining walls that support the hillside, the, the, the hilltop that the temple is on, he built those. And in so doing, he expanded the area that's up there on the temple mount. His walls are still there. It's probably the most famous retaining wall in the world, right? It's the ones that Herod built. We, what's that? Yeah, it's called the Western Wall, or in the past it was called the Wailing Wall. You've probably heard of it. This is all Herod's construction around the temple. He also built this place called Masada. Anyone ever heard of that one? Right? It's this mountaintop fortress by the Dead Sea. You go there when you're tired of, like, salesmen coming to your door. Right? Because there is nobody who's going to visit that place. It's in the middle of nowhere. Right? Middle of nowhere, up on a mountain, and it's a fortress. Now they have a tram up to the top, which probably, you know, leads to a lot more visitors than it used to be. He also built uh, this city called Caesarea Maritima, which is a beautiful city on the coast of the Mediterranean. I mean, it's just a gorgeous place. Uh, it has all kinds of awesome stuff there in this that he built. It has a saltwater pool with a mosaic floor, which was refreshed by the changing of the tides. Like, that's pretty nice. Right? I wouldn't mind one of those. <laughs> he also had, uh, there in Caesarea, it was also, there's a hippodrome, which is where the hippos hang out. Right? You know, it's a horse racing track, right? It's like Ben-Hur kind of thing. And then also had this enormous theater as well. Uh, In addition to his building projects, he and Cleopatra uh, also controlled a monopoly on asphalt extraction in the Dead Sea. Right? You know if you have a monopoly with Cleopatra, life is good, right? You're cruising on her barge, like getting fanned with the big palm fronds and stuff. It's not bad. Life is good. They used asphalt for the times in shipbuilding, right? It would seal up the ship's hulls. Now, Herod built so much that even if you see things that don't appear to be made by a person, they might have been built by Herod as well, right? For instance, the mountain he made. Like, I'm not joking, he made a mountain. Like, often in our lives, we'll make mountains out of molehills. Herod actually just made mountains, right? This one mountain outside of Jerusalem, he built it. He built this mountain and then built a fortress down on the inside of it. And this mountain is the highest point in that area. It's pretty amazing, right? I mean, you've done, have you built mountains before? That's pretty impressive, right? And like a true mountain builder, he named it after himself, this mountain. He called it, uh, he called it Herodium, right? Which is a cool name. It was famously said of Herod the Great by the Emperor Augustus, who was his patron, his friend. He had been a classmate at school. Um, It was said of him, I would rather be Herod's pig than his son. What does that mean? Right? This guy built everything, man. Who wouldn't want to be his son? You get to go and be like, yeah, daddy built that and daddy built that and we'll go to daddy's palace today. Right? But no, you'd rather be his pig than his son? Well, the challenging thing about Herod was despite all these cool building projects he did, he spent a lot of his time killing his children. Right? I know sometimes we think of it, but like Herod actually did this, right? Herod did this. 
he killed a bunch of his sons because he was afraid that they were going to steal his throne. That they were going to usurp his power. And so he figured, well, I might as well just knock that one off. I got plenty more where that came from. Right? He had lots of kids and he just killed a bunch of his sons. He also killed a bunch of sons-in-laws, too. So forget like the daddy with a shotgun, right? Herod like was there and he would kill these guys with impunity. He would drown them, strangle them, run them through, chop off their head, right? It didn't matter for Herod. He had many ways to deal with sons and sons-in-laws. He was ruthless. Nothing stood between him and power. And in our gospel passage, there is a threat to that power. Wise men from the east come to Jerusalem looking for the child who has been born king of the Jews. Boy, that sounds a little threatening, doesn't it? Right? Because Herod thought he was that one. That one who was to be the king. These guys had traveled over miles and miles to come and see the newborn king for the star told of his appearing. Herod, and it says all Jerusalem as well, were filled with fear about the birth of this king of the Jews. And so Herod tries to find out as much as he can about who this king might be. He does this under the pretense that he's going to go and pay him homage. Is that what Herod wants to pay him? Herod does want to pay him a little visit. Right, But his visit's not going to be with, with gold and frankincense and myrrh, is it? No. no, he wants to come and take out this usurper to his throne. Now Herod, he's one king. He's the king who builds buildings and destroys people. He looks good on the outside. He looks big and grand. But there's another king we need to talk about as well. Now, the other king in our passage didn't build anything. He didn't construct any grand palaces with frescoed walls and mosaic floors. He didn't really do many kingly things like having big parties or greeting royalty, hanging out with Cleopatra, cutting ribbons at grand openings. No, he walked out hanging out with fishermen, prostitutes, and tax collectors. In terms of a legacy, it's impossible to see anything that he built during his time in Israel. There's nothing. Indeed, the only structure that he had anything to do with building was a cross. And that cross was built by others for him. Two pieces of wood affixed to one another, and then this king was hung upon that cross. And yet that cross, that simple things, thing that the Romans built for Jesus, turned out to make more difference than anything that Herod the Great constructed. Because on that cross was not only crucified the true king, but the Son of God. The one who had created the whole world. The one who had taken our flesh upon himself at Christmas. And there on that cross, he died for us, the righteous for the unrighteous. His death accomplished the greatest achievement ever. For in his death, 
the world was saved. His death earned for us forgiveness of sins and the mercy of God, as our sin was paid for by the very Son of God. He offered to the world an opportunity to be reconciled to the Father without trying to earn it. Because the reality is, is that we are all little Herods at heart. We are trying to build things to approve, to earn approval. We are building things to try to leave a legacy for ourselves. To show God that we're good people and worthy of his grace and love. Yet we are not worthy of it. That's why he offers us grace that does not depend upon our performance, upon our perfection, upon our construction. Today, the true king invites us to receive his free gift of grace and love. From the wise men, we see that this king, Jesus, is worthy of worship and praise. He is worthy of great gifts. And ultimately, he is worthy of us giving up our lives for him and receiving his grace in exchange. Today, may we do this. May we receive the grace of God. May we lay aside our desire to work to earn it and rather just open our hands and hearts so that God can pour his mercy into us. And may we worship the one who was born King of the Jews. Let's pray. Lord God, there's so much in this world which leads us astray, so much which is a falsification of the truth. Help us, Lord God, to see you, the true King, to see you face to face, Lord God. May your grace be poured out upon us, Lord. May we not put our faith in ourselves or in um, the other kings of this world, Lord God, or things of this world, but may we put our trust and faith in you. Help us, Lord God, to receive your grace. Thank you that it is something that we cannot earn. Thank you that it is something that we do not deserve, and yet you give it to us. Lord, humble our hearts so that we might be overwhelmed by your life-changing and life-giving grace. We confess to you, Lord, our sin. We confess to you our desire to earn your love. Lord, change our hearts. Set us free so that we can love you and serve you. Lord God, and like the star you put in the heavens to lead the wise men to you, may you lead others to you as well so that they might know the hope and the joy that a relationship with you brings. They might know your saving grace, and they might be set free as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.